And now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the podcast you've all been waiting for, Legacy Story with Adam Solomini. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Legacy Story. My name is Adam Solomon, and ultimately, this podcast is meant to rekindle your own legacy story memories and leave a desire to create more. Before we start today, I want to take a moment of remembrance for those who were lost and those whose lives were changed forever due to the attacks on Pearl Harbor. The Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941, which catapulted the United States into World War II. More than 2,400 Americans were killed in the attack, and nearly 20 American ships, including five of the eight battleships and 300 aircraft, were destroyed. As I have mentioned in the past, a few of those casualties were two of my grandmother's brothers. We should never forget that day. December 7th will eternally be Pearl Harbor Day. In today's episode, we are going to talk about energy, particularly solar energy, but energy in general. Why, might you ask? Are you going to talk about energy? I thought this was legacy story. Well, some of the uh, creators and inventors of things that we utilize every single day have legacy stories. Wouldn't you agree? Secondly, it is cold today here. It's 45 degrees. It reached to below freezing, and it gave me flashbacks of just last year when Texas had the snowpocalypse. If you don't remember, the snowpocalypse that hit Texas lasted well over a week, where pretty much the whole state was shut down. It was freezing temperatures consistently, ice all over the roads, and lots and lots of snow. For North Texas, where I am located, you don't really get a lot of snow, uh, much less ice. So that is why the DFW area pretty much shut down. But, you know, others, even as far south as Houston, shut down too. My friend Sean's daughter had just moved to Houston. They had bought a house. They literally had just moved there like the Friday before the freeze and the snow started and their pipes froze. It was a mess. I just said, hey, listen, uh, I can only get better from here, right? Also during that time, my wife and I had COVID. So we had COVID during Snowmageddon and our baby had just turned one years old. So it was, it was uh, a challenge. There were rolling blackouts. So about every few hours or so, we might get 20 to 45 minutes of power. So what we had to do is we had to get everything prepped up that we needed to do with the power on and knock it out as quickly as possible. We needed hot water boiled up so we could use it for different things like coffee, hot chocolate, soup, things to keep us warm. We had to boil the pots up. If we needed to use the stove to cook dinner, I think we used the air fryer since we knew that would take us less than 30 minutes. We knew as soon as the power was on, we need the food thrown in there and cook it as quickly as possible so we could have a warm meal. Luckily, our gas was not shut off, so we were able to use the fireplace to keep the house warm. As winter approached, Lucy, my wife, said, Hey, uh, we should probably be prepared for the next time that the power goes out, especially if there's another winter storm this year. And one of the things we instantly thought of is how essential power is, right? 
So that is why we are talking about energy and the distribution of electrical power. And yes, we are now ready for when the power goes out. I've talked about Thomas Edison and the things that he invented and the race to provide electricity across the United States. But another character in history is that of Serbian-American engineer and physicist Nikola Tesla, who made dozens of breakthroughs in the production, transmission, and application of electric power. He invented the first alternating current, or AC, motor and developed AC generation and transmission technology. Tesla arrived in New York in 1884 and was hired as an engineer at Thomas Edison's Manhattan headquarters. He worked there for a year, impressing Edison with his diligence and ingenuity, and at one point Edison told Tesla he would pay $50,000 for an improved design for his DC application. After experimenting for some months, Tesla presented a solution to Edison and asked for the money. Edison said he was joking, so Tesla quit soon thereafter. He tried to start his own company, the Tesla Electric Light Company, which was unsuccessful. Eventually, he found backers to support his research into alternating current. In just two years, 1887 and 1888, he was granted more than 30 patents for his inventions and was invited to address the American Institute of Electrical Engineers on his work. His lecture caught the attention of George Westinghouse, the inventor who launched the first AC power system near Boston, Massachusetts. He also happened to be Edison's major competitor. Westinghouse hired Tesla, licensed the patents for his AC motor, and gave him his own lab. Oh, by the way, uh, how major was this competition between Westinghouse and Edison, also known as the Battle of the Currents? Well, this is how serious it was. In 1890, Edison arranged for a convicted New York murderer to be put to death in an AC-powered electric chair, a stunt designed to show how dangerous the Westinghouse standard could be. Wow. Tesla's inventions and AC applications were so good that he eventually left Westinghouse and went out on his own again. In the 1890s, Tesla invented electric oscillators, meters, improved lights, and the high-voltage transformer known as the Tesla coil. He also experimented with x-rays, gave short-range demonstrations of radio communication two years before Guglielmo Marconi, although Marconi pioneered long-range transmissions. And he also partnered with General Electric to install AC generators at Niagara Falls, creating the first modern power station. And they're doing construction near my house. So if you hear some banging and it annoys you, just know, there it goes again, that it is annoying me 1,000 times more. Anywho, back to Tesla. In 1895, Tesla's New York lab burned, destroying years worth of notes and equipment. So he relocated to Colorado Springs for a few years, returning to New York in 1900. I actually lived in Colorado Springs when I was very young just a few blocks away from my cousins, so we had a lot of fun. Remember how I told you I got pushed down a hill to learn how to ride a bike? Yeah, that happened in Colorado Springs. J.P. Morgan actually financed Tesla, and he began building a global communications network centered on a giant tower at Warden Cliff on Long Island. Eventually, funds ran out, and Morgan really didn't want to keep pushing money towards Tesla. Tesla lived his last decades in a New York hotel, working on new inventions, even as his energy and mental health faded. 
Tesla died in his room on January 7, 1943. Later that year, the U.S. Supreme Court voided four of Marconi's key patents, belatedly acknowledging Tesla's innovations in radio. The AC system he championed and improved remains the global standard for power transmission. Some of the Tesla inventions that never actually got built are very interesting to think about. One is the thought camera. Tesla believed it would be possible to photograph thoughts. The inspiration came while he was doing experiments in 1893. He conceived of an invention that would reflect an image on an artificial retina, taking a photograph and projecting the image on a screen. He said, if this can be done successfully, then the objects imagined by a person would be clearly reflected on the screen as they were formed. And in this way, every thought of the individual could be read. Our minds would then, indeed, be like open books. During his time of funding from J.P. Morgan, he secured $150,000 to build a 180-foot-tall mushroom-shaped tower on the north shore of Long Island capable of transmitting messages, telephony, and images to ships at sea and across the Atlantic Ocean by using the Earth to conduct signals. This is the structure that was being built at Wardenclyffe Tower. Tesla wanted to adapt it to allow for wireless power delivery, believing, from his experience on radio and microwaves, that he could light up New York City by transmitting millions of volts of electricity through the air. J.P. Morgan, however, refused to give Tesla any additional funding for this invention, mainly because that plan would have crippled J.P. Morgan's other energy sector holdings if it was possible and adopted. Another invention that Tesla never built of course, obviously, <laughs> was the electric-powered supersonic airship. From the time Tesla was a boy, he had been fascinated with the idea of flight. Combining his knowledge of electrical and mechanical engineering, he began to think more about aviation after the failure of Wardenclyffe. He wanted to develop a supersonic aircraft that would travel eight miles above the surface of the Earth and generate speeds allowing passengers to travel between New York City and London in three hours. Tesla's concept called for the aircraft to be powered by electricity transmitted wirelessly from power plants on the ground, eliminating the need for aircrafts to carry fuel. I'll just talk about one last invention. There were many that he didn't build, but uh, I'm glad that this one wasn't built. The Death Beam. On his 78th birthday, he told the New York Times that he had come up with his most important invention, one that would cause armies of millions to drop dead in their tracks. The invention? a military weapon that would accelerate mercury particles at 48 times the speed of sound inside a vacuum chamber and shoot a high-velocity beam. Although the press dubbed it a death beam, Tesla believed it a peace beam that would foil attacks by airplanes and invading armies. Tesla actually offered this particle beam weapon to numerous governments, including the United States, but the only country to show interest was the Soviet Union, which conducted a partial test in 1939. So there you have it. Aside from the contributions of Edison, you also have the contributions of Nikola Tesla. Interesting that we now have a company that is taking a deep dive into power named Tesla, run by Elon Musk, and we'll get to that later. I do believe that eventually we will be turning to solar. Solar power as we know it today is, I would say, in its infancy. The early days in the development of solar technologies started in the 1860s and was driven by an expectation that coal would soon become scarce. 
Charles Fritz installed the world's first rooftop solar array on a New York City roof in 1884. The development of solar technologies, however, stagnated in the early 20th century in the face of increasing availability, economy, and utility of coal and petroleum. In 1974, it was estimated that only six private homes in all of North America were entirely heated or cooled by functional solar power systems. The 1973 oil embargo and 1979 energy crisis caused a reorganization of energy policies around the world and brought renewed attention to developing solar technologies. Between 1970 and 1983, installations of solar systems grew rapidly, but falling oil prices in the early 1980s moderated the growth of solar production from 1984 to 1996. In the mid-1990s, development of both residential and commercial rooftop solar as well as utility-scale power stations began to accelerate again due to supply issues with oil and natural gas, global warming concerns, and improving economic position of PV or photovoltaic power relative to other energy technologies. About a decade ago is when we saw the explosion of both residential, commercial, and major power stations using solar. The problem right now, though, is the cost, the return on your investment, and how long these solar panels last. Not to mention the batteries, the size of the batteries that are storing the energy that you bring in from solar. For home solar systems, in 2020, there was almost 19 gigawatts of total capacity installed. That compared to 13 gigawatts in 2019. They expect over the next 10 years that number may quadruple or more. There are, of course, tax credits in the United States for solar, and many feel that there may be regulations from the Biden administration that will compel even more people to switch to solar. The elephant in the room with solar is what happens when your solar panels die and you need to replace them. The International Renewable Energy Agency, also known as IRENA, projects that large amounts of annual waste are anticipated by the early 2030s. And that could actually total 78 million tons of solar waste by the year 2050. There's a problem, though, with what IRENA put out. They're expecting solar panels to have a 30-year lifespan. And that's not really the case for many reasons. You see, the solar panels that you may have purchased in 2015 might not be as efficient as the ones that you could get today or ones that you could get five years from now. The batteries may be larger, consume more space, be more clunky, whereas new power stations that you can have in your house are less obtrusive. So people may actually want to upgrade. So based on those factors, and not just a straightforward 30-year factor that everybody's keeping all of their panels for 30 years, there could be 50 times more waste in just four years over what IRENA anticipates. That would mean around 315,000 metric tons of waste. So the solar industry and the boom in solar energy forgot one thing, how to recycle them, recycling plants. There are very few in the United States to date. As a result, it costs an estimated $20 to $30 to recycle a single panel. Ascending that same panel to a trash dump would only cost about $1 to $2. So you do the math, what are people going to do? 
Oh, it's not just solar, by the way. Uh, this also is a problem for wind turbines. Experts expect more than 720,000 tons worth of those huge wind turbines that you see will be filling up U.S. landfills over the next 20 years. Also, only 5% of electric vehicle batteries are currently recycled, while sales are increasing 40% year on year, right? So although I really do like solar, and as a matter of fact, that is one of our alternatives for losing power, there is this problem with regards to uh, waste, and we're not even talking about the materials that are needed and how they are procured to make solar panels. I understand why it is being pushed as a green alternative. However, when you look at the materials, how they are procured, how these solar panels are made, and then the fact that they aren't really being recycled and it just becomes waste along with the batteries, you can see how the green dreams of solar are dreams that tend to block out these realities. Things are looking better though, and there are ways to change it as the prices decrease in production and the costs to the consumer are decreased. More incentive money could be rerouted towards recycling. More industry money could be rerouted to recycling. They've actually made some strides in Europe, and that's something that maybe the United States can look into. As I said, the industry is going to explode over the next decade, and that means lower costs for me and you, more efficiency for me and you, and hopefully more responsible recycling. To put it in perspective, today the U.S. solar industry employs about 242,000 people and generates tens of billions of dollars. There are over 2 million solar PV systems totaling about 71,300 megawatts of solar capacity, which translates to about 100 terawatts of electricity that has been generated. Now, that is less than 2% of U.S. electricity overall, though. That total PV capacity is expected to actually double over the next five years. And over the next seven years, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics estimates that the solar PV installer will be the fastest growing job in the United States. California leads all states in solar by far, with over 26,000 megawatts installed. It's about five times more than second place North Carolina. However, there has been an explosion in other states, and the top five that's predicted in the next couple of years would be number one, California, number two, Texas, number three, Florida, number four, Nevada, and number five, North Carolina. Those five were projected to deploy about half of all solar PV capacity in the United States, with California and Texas accounting for almost one-third. Globally, the United States is ranked second behind China with regards to solar PV deployments. After the United States would be Japan, then Germany, then India, then Italy, then the UK. So this brings us to the future. What does the future look like? And you can't really talk about the future of solar or power through battery systems derived from solar without talking about Elon Musk and the company Tesla. Seems as though we're going full circle, right? Tesla, the company, is certainly a disruptor in the industry, both automotive and energy storage. As a matter of fact, Elon Musk says that his energy storage company will grow faster than his electric vehicle business. And he has a very aggressive approach towards energy storage, one that he foresees as catapulting the world into the next phase of solar energy. He actually anticipates growth just for his company to reach 2 terawatts of energy storage by 2030. 
Tesla Energy supplies power to homes, businesses, and utilities by selling solar panels, solar roofing. He actually has solar tiles. They're little tiles, not whole big panels. And battery storage packs called the Powerwall Power Pack and Mega Pack. In 2018, Tesla installed more than one gigawatt of storage capacity around the world. In 2019, it was two gigawatts, moving to three gigawatts in 2020 although that was a pandemic year. So they're actually looking at doubling each year and accelerating from there as it gets closer to 2030. Elon Musk believes that 50% of his business is going to be power storage and solar. The Tesla power plant may be coming to a town near you. His energy generation and storage business is just about tipping $1 billion in revenue. It grew about 116% over the pandemic year of 2020. We definitely should be seeing Tesla as a major component of the solar and energy storage boom that's going to take place over the next decade or so. Right now, though, it's pretty expensive. I'll give you an idea when looking at generators, for instance. You could find a 4,000-watt gas-powered portable generator for about $500. Maybe you wanted to do a hybrid gas and propane-powered generator, let's say 4,000 watts probably around $1,000. Unfortunately, if you wanted a solar generator, just the solar generator alone, the battery that looks nice and fancy, the digital screen, power indicators, multiple ways to power things, multiple ways to charge it, but a solar generator that has the capacity of 2,000, yes, just half of that $500 gas generator or that $1,000 gas and propane generator, Half of the available energy will set you back about $2,000. And you still need to get the solar panels, which could set you back another $400 to $1,000, depending on how long you want it to take to power those batteries back up. So versus a gas generator, you're looking at about 8 to 12 times the cost if you decide to go with a solar generator. So there is a lot to do, a lot of production a lot of cost-cutting in order for it to catch up to where consumers will buy it in mass. Now, I would say if you live in an area that has natural disasters or weather phenomenon that could knock out your power, I would suggest getting a generator, whatever is the most affordable and makes sense to you, just as a way to be prepared. You might not be lucky enough to get rolling blackouts. It could be a complete blackout. Well, that's all for today's episode of Legacy Story. We went from Tesla to Tesla. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. If you really do enjoy this podcast, you might want to consider donating. You can do so via Cash App at dollar sign in Financer. Half of all donations are going to go into a scholarship fund that will provide coaching services to those in dire need particularly individuals that are in underserved communities, as well as first responders, military, and veterans. Don't forget to follow me on social media at Your Legacy Story, except for Twitter, which is The Legacy Story. Plus, you can also follow me at InFinancer. If you're interested in changing your trajectory, whether it is through financial coaching, personal coaching, or business coaching, you can book a free discovery session with me at InFinancer.com. I-N-F-I-N-A-N-C-E-R.com. Until next time, ciao.